Thank you for listening to the New City Fellowship Sermon Podcast. This is Pastor John Homas. You know, for each of the major events in the life of Jesus Christ, we have a celebration or a holiday. For the Incarnation, when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and God became man, we have Christmas. When Christ was crucified on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf that we might be forgiven our sins, we have Good Friday. And when Jesus came out of the tomb and he was resurrected from the dead by the power of God, we celebrate that on Easter Sunday. But what about the ascension? What about the ascension of Jesus? Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus gathered his disciples together, he gave them some instructions, and he ascended into the skies. We don't really talk about that. Although there's actually a day, May 30th this year, Thursday, May 30th, was Ascension Day. But we don't really talk about the Ascension. My guess is we don't really know what it's about. We don't know the meaning or significance of it. And if we don't know the meaning or significance of it, it doesn't feel like it matters. We don't talk about it. It doesn't have a bearing in our daily life. Well, the Ascension deeply matters for the Christian life. And if you don't know what it is, I'm excited that you'll be able to join in today with us as we talk about it. Our passage was Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. The recording started a little bit late, but you can jump in now with us as we talk about why the ascension matters for mission. The ascension deeply matters. It really mattered to the early church. It really mattered to the early church. If you read through the book of Acts, they talk about it. And not only that, but the apostles who who wrote the New Testament, they talk about it as well. And Jesus, before he died, before he was resurrected, and before he was ascended, he told the disciples about his ascension. It's deeply significant. The disciples in the early church talk about it, not as some sort of fable or some sort of myth, but as a historical event, as something that really happened. They don't speculate They say that they were spectators to it. Recently, uh, Drake came out with a new album, and it was downloaded 170 million times, or it was streamed 170 million times in one day. That's a fact, right? But then everyone started listening to the album, and they started speculating. Is he singing about Bella? We don't know. We're speculating about it. One is a fact that can be verified, because we can be spectators. We can look it up online and look at the facts, The other is speculation. We don't know. What's he talking about? The disciples treat the ascension not as something that's speculated about, but as something that they were spectators to, that it could be verified, that they saw it. They saw Jesus go into the sky with their own two eyes. And that's how Luke describes his whole account of the life of Jesus. Acts is part two. Luke is part one. Luke writes both of them. In the beginning of Acts, he refers to part one, the Gospel of Luke, and he says this at the beginning of Luke. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. In other words, the ascension of Jesus was witnessed by people. We're not speculating. It happened. 
And Theophilus, Luke is saying, Theophilus, if you want to go and fact check, you can. Because I got this information from many people who witnessed not just the ascension, but the whole life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It is a historical event. Well, what actually happened? I mean, is Jesus like going through space travel? Or is he up in the clouds playing a harp? What is the ascension about? Well, in our text for today, it says that Jesus ascended into heaven. Not the heavens. The heavens means like the sky and the cloud. Heaven means the realm where God lives. It's somewhere you and I do not have access to. It is another place entirely outside of our space and time. It's another realm. But that is where Jesus went in the ascension. And when he went there, he went to ascend to a throne of power. He went to ascend to a throne of power that was high above any other power and any other authority and all other control and any other person who thought they were in charge. Jesus ascends to the throne of power at the right hand of God. Listen to how Paul describes it in Ephesians 1. God exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead. There's resurrection. And seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. When Jesus ascends to the other realm, to heaven, he is given power over everything. He is given authority over all people, all things, not just at some future date, but now. When he went to heaven, he was put in charge by God the Father. He reigned and ruled, he was given the reign and rule of the universe by being at the right hand. In other words, Jesus was coronated king. He was coronated as the king in his ascension. Maybe that's why we don't have any Christmas cards that are for the ascension or ascension cards. I mean, Christmas we can kind of tame, right? It's like God becomes this little baby and we put the, you know, the picture of that on the front of the card and all that kind of stuff. But the ascension is in your face. The ascension is much more provocative. Jesus is in control of all things, and you're not. It's a challenge to us. Ray Ortland writes that we often approach life as if Jesus is not in charge, but we're willing to give him a space on the committee. Each of us has this committee in our heart where we try and balance decisions. It's like, um, you know, there's a job committee, and there's a desire committee, and there's like a, a pleasure committee. And those committee members get together in our heart, and that's how we make decisions. And we're willing to let Jesus have a seat on that committee and maybe give suggestions. But what the ascension says is, listen, you need to fire your committee. Because Jesus is in charge of all things. And our job is not simply to ask him into our heart, but it's to ask him into our heart and kneel down before him because he is the king of kings and lord of lords. There's no one who has more power and authority. And just because you can't see him in power right now doesn't mean he's actually not in power. One day he will reveal himself 
of having the highest place in the universe. Now, when we talk about power, people don't trust power and people don't trust authority in our day and age. But the amazing thing about Jesus is he has all power and all authority in his ascension to the right hand of God, and yet he's using that power and authority to restore all things and renew everything that's broken, including you and me. What I love about this verse, the second part of the verse says, and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. He's using his power and authority for the benefit of us. For the benefit of us, we're taking part in what he's doing. There's no one who has more power and authority than him, and yet he doesn't abuse it. (laughs) He's renewing and restoring all things, and including the church in his restoration work. In other words, he's using his power that you and I might become the hands and feet of him right here in this city. There's no one that's that high, no one that has that authority, and yet no one who can actually renew and restore all things. The point is this. The ascension matters. It really matters. It's really a big deal. It's a huge claim of the Christian faith, which is why we said it in the Apostles' Creed. But not only that, if we're committed to be a church on mission, if we're going to be a church that doesn't just sit in the pews, but goes out and shares the good news, we're not trying to build just our kingdom, but show God's kingdom in the world, the ascension really matters for us. The ascension really matters for a church that's on mission. In Matthew 28, Jesus is giving his disciples the mission. Skip down to that second paragraph. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so there's the mission. Go, baptize, make disciples, teach people about my commands. But what does he say in the beginning? Go, therefore. A little rule when you're reading scripture, if there's a therefore, you have to see what the therefore is there for. In other words, when he says go, therefore, he's pointing back to something he's already said. So what does he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What's he talking about? The ascension, his exaltation to the right hand of God. And he connects that directly to the mission of the disciples. The ascension matters for mission. Jesus has authority, and he's bringing the good news and his renewal movement all throughout the world. And he's asking us to join in his mission. And if we really want to do that, we have to get a grasp of the ascension. Today I want to talk just for a little bit about the ascension and how it motivates and empowers you for mission. And there's three areas where I want it to land for you. The ascension empowers prayer. The ascension guarantees his presence. And the ascension turns the power on in your life. Prayer, presence, and power. So let's talk first of all about prayer. Uh, Recently on the MTV Awards, Chris Pratt got up and gave this speech that was all throughout the news. And there was one point where I like got shocked by what he said because he challenged the audience. He said, listen, learn to pray. It's easy and it's so good for your soul. 
And I was like, yeah, we should learn to pray. And it is so good for your soul. But I don't agree with you that it's easy. Prayer is a struggle. In fact, I don't know anyone that says, my prayer life is exactly spot on. Every person is like, I, I should pray more. I should pray more intimately. I should pray with more power. I don't know anyone that's satisfied with their prayer life. Now, I like Chris Pratt, but I disagreed when he said, it's easy. Prayer is a struggle. In our humanity, it's so hard to communicate with someone that we cannot see. It takes faith. And often I find that in my prayer, I'm often distracted. I have to wrestle with doubts. I'm discouraged. And my prayer life very easily dries up. Anybody else there? Humanity. That's what it means to be a human. It is a struggle to pray. And as you and I encounter the brokenness of this world and the busyness of this life, we'll find that our energy for prayer just goes down. That's the reality. But the ascension and getting a grasp on the ascension really empowers your prayer, even in the midst of the doubts and the discouragements and the distractions. See, when Jesus came from heaven to earth, he came and became a man, fully God, fully man. And he went through all these trials and struggles that you and I went through. And then he returned to heaven, but he didn't lose being a man. He was still a man. He was fully God and fully man. So everything that he experienced in his humanity is now with him in heaven, and he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness and in our struggles. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 4. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was the God-man, and he wasn't exempt from the trials and temptations and the tiredness of life. He went through it all, yet he did so without sin. And then he went to the cross, and he experienced human pain and human death. He had a, he had a human last gasp for air, and then he died. But in the resurrection, his human body was raised from the dead. And his human body experienced victory over death. And when he ascends to heaven, he doesn't stop being human. His brown-skinned body ascended to the right hand of God in power. And now it says, as the God-man, he doesn't judge us for our weakness. He's able to sympathize with us in our weakness because he went through everything that we've gone through, yet without sin. And now he's brought that experience with him to heaven, where he is now our representative before God, our priest. And the fact that God accepted him back into heaven means that everything he did on your and my behalf was acceptable. It was finished. When Jesus says, it is finished on the cross, that comes to full fruition when he goes back up into heaven. Because he sits down at the right hand of God. And everything that he had lived through in the crucifixion that paid for our sins is acceptable, and he has no more work to do to redeem us. But he does so not as just a spiritual being, 
but as fully God and fully man. I heard a story about Prince William, the heir to the throne, uh, Queen Elizabeth's grandson. And some years ago, Prince William decided that he wanted to be able to understand and sympathize with the homeless people who lived in London. So it was a cold night in London, and he went out, surrounded by security, of course, and spent the night on the streets of London. And it really opened his eyes up to what people who don't have a home go through in the city of London. But then he went back to the palace, right? <laughs> he went back to wherever he was living, the royal living. And I thought, you know, that, that's actually a, a great move. Like, that's, uh, I'm not going to judge that. That's a great thing. But I also was like, that's limited. Because it's not like the people he spent the night with could then show up at the palace, ring the doorbell, and say, like, hey, Prince William came and wanted to get to know our situation, and I have a request for him. Can I talk to Prince William? Is he back there? No. You don't get to ring the doorbell. And even if you did get to ring the doorbell, you would get sent away quickly. But let's just say you rang the doorbell and they're like, sure, you can talk to Prince William. You would not be allowed in there if you were dressed how you were the night that you were out there with Prince William. You'd be in tattered clothes. They'd be like, look, go home, clean up, then come back, ring the doorbell again, we'll see if Prince William's here, and then you can have a moment with him. Prince William entered into their struggles, but he did not accept them into the, into, the, into the palace. What a difference this passage says about Jesus. Jesus left the safety of heaven, spent 33 years loving and living and ministering to broken people and touching them and healing them and forgiving them. And then he was killed on the cross. But then he ascends back to heaven, and he doesn't cut us off. We're giving access 24-7 to the throne room of God because Jesus, who understands what it's like to be us, has ascended to heaven on our behalf. And he's now our priest and representative. But not only that, when you and I get dirty with our sin or we feel our weaknesses or our doubts or our lack of faith, we're not told to go back home and clean up before we show up. That is the very moment that he wants us to come to him. That we might boldly come in and say, my representative Jesus is here and he says I can show up anytime and ask for mercy and ask for grace when I need it. He has fully paid the price for me and I'm not acceptable, but he has paid the price for me and now in him I am accepted. You see, we have an inside man in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. But now we can also cry out, our Jesus in heaven. So you say, I can't pray. I'm too weak. Well, Jesus sees your weakness and sympathizes with it. You say, I, I, I can't pray. I, I've sinned too much. Well, in front of the Father, Jesus pleads his nail-pierced hands and his spear-pierced side on your behalf. And it's not your lack of sins that make your, your prayers acceptable. It's Jesus and his death on the cross for you. You say, look, I'm, my faith, it's floundering. I, I can barely get a prayer out without doubting or struggling. Well, Jesus himself had to wrestle through what it meant to trust God as well. And right now, the scriptures tell us that he is praying for you. He's praying for us. 
in the throne room of God right now. Come, receive grace and mercy when you don't deserve it. When you pray and you're only aware of your sin and weakness and doubts and that causes you to stop praying, reorient your awareness and get an awareness of the ascended Jesus who has risen to the right hand of God and makes your presence acceptable and your prayers heard because of what he's done for you. And if you really get that, it will revolutionize your prayer life. Because a lot of people are like, you know, I want to be a person who's on mission, and so they just try really hard. I want to share the gospel, so I'm just going to try really hard. That's not the key to being on mission. The key to being on mission is to realize that you're a sinful, weak person who struggles to believe, but Jesus has forgiven your sin, and Jesus is strong when you are weak, and when your faith flounders, Jesus reaches out with his strong hand to you. And that emboldens your prayers. All of a sudden you go, it's not about me and my strength or weakness. It's about Jesus who has ascended to the throne and represents me. Oh my goodness, I can pray bold prayers. I can do crazy things for the gospel because Jesus reigns and rules for me and represents me. Sure, I'm a sinner, but I'm going to confess my sins to God in the throne room because I need mercy and I need grace yesterday, today, and forever. But my need does not exclude me because Jesus told me to come. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to pray. An awareness of the ascension changes our prayer life. It makes us bold. It makes us pray bold prayers for other people. Because as we see our own weakness and sin, and we're not beyond the grace of God, we begin to pray for that grace to reach out to others as well. The ascension matters for prayer, but the ascension also matters for presence. The ascension matters for the presence of Jesus. I think this is where we get most confused about what happened in the ascension. Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, he says, look, it's better for you if I go. They're like, my first thought when I read this, like, no, it's not. I would rather you be here with me. It's better for you if I go. It's to your advantage if I go. It's to your advantage if I ascend to the right hand of God. Why? Well, when Jesus walked and talked on this earth, he was only in one place at one time. He was the God-man. He was physical. He was in one room at a time. In fact, if you wanted to talk with Jesus, you had to wait in line. But when he goes to the Father... He sends the Holy Spirit, which is called the Spirit of Jesus. And now the Spirit is present everywhere. And we have access to the presence of Jesus 24-7. In fact, that's what Jesus says in John 37. It's like, when I go, or John, John 7, 39, he says, when I go, I'm going to send the Spirit. That's the whole point. It's better for you if I go because you'll actually have more access to me when I send the Spirit. My presence will always be with you. You wake up in the middle of the night, you want to talk to me, I'm there with you. He's with you in a sense because he's not with you. There's no lines to wait in now because his presence lives in us through the Holy Spirit. 
And I think that's so necessary for us if we want to be a church on mission because the reality is you and I have hope in Jesus and then we experience and encounter the brokenness of this world and all of a sudden our hope crashes, right? Like, man, this world is too broken. I was there this week. I was like just reading the news of all the things in a 24-hour news cycle and I'm like, I'm just tanked. I don't have any hope. Like, I feel so alone. The presence of Jesus in us because of the ascension says, no, you're not alone. Because I have ascended to the throne, I've sent the Spirit, and now God is for, with you forever, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. In fact, that's what Jesus means in the Great Commission as he rounds out this verse. Look at the last line. He says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I've always wondered, like, what does that mean? He's not with us. He's leaving. No, no, no. My spirit's with you 24-7, 365, anywhere you go. The presence of Jesus is in you. Always. Some have said that Jesus, in a sense, has better coverage than any cell phone company. It doesn't matter if you're in the midst of a hostile situation. With the presence of Jesus in you, you can be an agent of love. In our divisive time right now that's so divided in our country, because of the presence of Jesus, you can be an agent of peace in any situation. And even as you encounter the brokenness of this world, remind yourself that Jesus is present with you. And that will bring hope. The ascension matters for prayer. It matters for presence. And then lastly, it matters for power. One of the strangest things uh, in the ascension is that right before the ascension, he tells the disciples to wait. You can put up Acts 1-4. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. I always find this fascinating uh, because Jesus has already called the disciples and said, follow me. And as they were following him, they got to witness him heal the sick, and cast out demons, and he sent them on little mini mission trips by themselves to come back and get trained, and then they got to listen to his teaching, and it was not like anyone else that they had heard before. He taught with such authority, but then he pulled them aside and would teach them what he really meant and what all the stories he was telling meant, and then they got to spend this intimate moment with him at the Lord's Supper, right before the night he was betrayed, this intimate moment where he speaks with them. And then they followed him into the garden and watched him get arrested. And then saw him, some close and some from afar, be crucified. And his body laid in the tomb. And then they got to touch him when he was resurrected. And you're like, man, these guys have seen the whole thing. They've experienced three years with Jesus. They're ready. No, they're not. They're not ready. They're not ready because the power's not on. The power is not on. In verse 1-8, just a few, few verses later, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is talking about the power coming on when he sends the Spirit, and him sending the Spirit is thanks to the ascension. Jesus ascends to heaven, he sends the Spirit into the early church, and the power comes on. 
The one-time, world-altering pouring out of the Spirit brings the presence of Jesus into our lives, but also the power of God into our lives in order that we might be witnesses for Jesus, in order that we might share the good news of Jesus and share the love of God in our homes and in our streets and in our workplaces. After Hurricane Andrew happened, this elderly woman named Norena had her power knocked out. And she got some money from her, uh, from her insurance company, but it quickly ran out. And so she just decided to try and make it. So one day without power became two days, and all of a sudden those two days were a week. And before you know it, that week without power turned into a whole month without power. Six months, a year, five years, ten years, fifteen years, Norena lived without power after Hurricane Andrew. She couldn't do anything. She didn't have the power to pay the bills or turn the power on until the mayor of Miami-Dade heard about her situation and sent someone to turn the power on in her life. And that was all it took. The mayor of Miami-Dade at that time sent an electrician to her house, and within hours, her power was restored. You and I have been given that same power in our lives. Jesus is the authority, and he has sent someone to turn the power on in our lives. The Spirit has been sent into our lives, and therefore we can say no to sin, and we can walk in faith, and we can take risks to be representatives of God's kingdom, and we can share the gospel even when it's difficult, and we can make disciples because we're empowered by the Spirit. That person that's hostile towards you, by the power of the Spirit, you're actually going to be able to love them. That neighbor that you don't like, God, through his Spirit's power, is going to enable you, you to share the gospel with them. The power has been turned on in your life because Jesus ascended to the throne and sent the Spirit into your life. The power is now, for, is now on. Now, I realize that that sounds like a risk, right? The power comes on, all of a sudden you're this crazy person for Jesus, right? Well, let me remind you of this as I close. The goal for us is not to live a comfortable life. The goal is to be representatives of the good news, whatever comes. And when you start to think like that, you go, oh my goodness, I need the power of the Spirit. I need the boldness that he provides. I need the confidence that him living in me renews daily, every day. And to be reminded also that Jesus ascended in heaven reminds us this is not our home. This is not our home. Jesus went to heaven as the God-man to prepare a place for us. The new city. That is our home. Your home is with your ascended king. And your spot with him is so secure that the New Testament authors talk about it like you ascended with him. Look how Paul writes this. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. Our spot with Jesus in the new city 
is so secure that they, the New Testament authors write about it like it's already happened. And that should give you incredible hope. Jesus, ascended to the right hand of God in power, sympathizes with you in your weakness. Sends his spirit to be present with you no matter what you face, face and to empower you as a gospel representative. I hope you see that the ascension matters and it matters deeply for mission. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we worship you. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And so we pray now uh, that we would take that posture now before you. And if someone is here and, and they're wrestling with the Christian faith and they're wrestling with what they believe about you, I pray that they might see you ascended to the throne clearly as a historical event, something that actually happened, and that they might give their life to you and submit to the King. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me now?